one, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? So I will be honest, we've been meaning to record this conversation for a while because you had a fun experience that kind of sparked this for us. But I will say that like the minute a song starts talking in a in a holier mode, if we're talking about God or Jesus, and it's not in a like queer reclamation way, you know, like there's there's a song by Aaron McEwen um, that's I think it's oh, it's the queer gospel. That's just the name of it. Like, I'm like, yes, here for this. This is like a, you're turning it on its head. Or like Semler has a new single that's coming out that's like about to top the like Christian charts. And they are, I I don't know what pronouns Semler uses, but Semler is a very queer person who is, is reclaiming their faith in these like beautiful ways. I'll take that, but I cannot... like an earnest song about Christianity, I still am not, I still very much struggle with. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about things that you find joy uh, rather than me talking about my trauma. Yeah. So like listeners, Switchfoot, one of my favorite bands in general, and probably my favorite Christian band, um, they just re-released like a new version of the beautiful letdown, which is their big, like kind of breakout record in 2003. If you know a Switchfoot song, chances are it's from the beautiful letdown. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is most of my, most of my Switchfoot experience is from that album. And so when you were like, they've made a new one, I was like, okay. Yeah. Like they, so they just re-recorded it basically, you know, now. And uh, I think it's better than the original. I think it's that good. Like, I think it's really, I described it as really mature sounding and it's, it's just, it's such a good and cool thing. I think it's, it's got um, the weight of experience behind it and like, and it was always a killer record, but, but like it was, there was something about like the original record that uh, was sort of wise ahead of its time, Hmm. but was still very youthful. And this like, to me, this, like the new version of the record really is really just, um, uh, leans into the wisdom like like you got it as like yeah this is this comes from age and experience and 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 these guys you know thinking about and writing about and doing stuff for for you know 20 years um i just i'm i'm so impressed by the record and every every new switchfoot record uh john foreman sounds more and more like bono um, <laughs> but like in a really good way like sometimes i'll say that people are like uh and I stand by the fact that people are only uh because they're somehow trained to be that way. U two is a killer band. That's fair. Um, you know, pe- people are people are weird, but like I just think it's so good. Um, and uh, what I love about Switchfoot and what I love about the beautiful letdown, especially now that they've redone it, is there is a thoughtfulness about life um, that uses what the Switchfoot guys have learned from their faith um, to interpret life well. Hmm. And I guess, so like a lot of Christian music exists to perpetuate the cycle, right? Like, Like there's Christian music is there to be propaganda. Christian music is there when it's not just Christian propaganda, it very quickly becomes right-wing political propaganda. 
you know, as it's like, well, we just did this song on suicide. Yeah, I understand that you just did this song on suicide, but but this song about suicide also has a verse about, um, you know, drugs that has a lot of racially charged things about it. And this song on suicide also seems to um, uh, implicate that that uh, we need to fight the war on drugs with military might. You know what I mean? So like you get that a lot in like Skillet. Gotcha. I was like, I do not know what you are referring to, but yeah, I, I yeah, think that, it's like Christian rock does that a lot when it's not um, like there was a band, a Christian band. They're probably still around called disciple. And I remember disciple. I had a disciple sticker. Oh, well this band, I saw this band live a few times. They were supposed to be the Christian version of rage against the machine, which is completely bonkers. Um, <laughs> Uh, like, like absolutely, you know, maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard, um, r- right up there, particularly since Rage Against Machine is already a Christian band. Um, but, mm. but they're, they're not, they're actually not. <laughs> if, if Tom Morello and Zach De La Roca heard that, they'd kick my ass. Um, but like Disciple, you know, during their rap parts, rap about, uh, stand your ground laws and, rap about uh the importance of the american military machine and 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 rap about um how if you ever try to make my kid gay the you know jesus has given me the right to kill you stuff like that um some good shit there in disciple world you know or or the band demon hunter oh my god joe i knew this was going to happen (laughs) <laughs> when, I, when I talk about, because my most of the music I listened to was was Christian like metal music. Right. Then you've got this band Demon Hunter, who are still around, and I cannot believe it. Demon Hunter has one of the coolest aesthetics I've ever seen. Every album ha- is another iteration of this same like demon skull, and they do it. It's really great. It's it it they they're a classic example of a band whose look is so much cooler than the band. Mm-hmm. Um, this band sucks. This band, <laughs> this band is poop, poop garbage. It's, it's so bad. They're this, they're this um, new metal experimental metalcore band. And so it's like two not very good genres of metal. New metal, which is a uh, new metal is NU metal, new metal. It's like Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit is new metal. Terrible. New metal plus metalcore. Metalcore is already an iffy subgenre. You combine them together, you call them Demon Hunter, and they sing about and you know they they write they write this heavy music about, you know, sin and death and damnation and 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 grace and God's gonna God's gonna transform me and he's gonna kill all the demons. And who are the demons, you might ask? Well, Get ready, <laughs> because you didn't know, but your local Democrats are demon. Like, like, yes, thank you, thank you, uh, Demon Hunter. Yeah. Um, luckily, they suck, and so <laughs> anybody in their nobody in their right mind would listen to this band. But like, you get that a lot. And Switchfoot as a, not like a praise and worship band because none of these guys are like praise and worship bands. Although praise and worship music is also very propaganda, just in different ways. 
Um, yeah, just theologically. Yeah, I, I, this, I don't. This is probably my only contribution. I was thinking. I, I don't remember in what context this conversation was happening. Uh, it, I might have been talking to you, but um, I find that like there are uh, there's there is a capacity for us to inculcate um, goodness and sanctification. I was talking to Ian. That's what it was in a variety of different ways. Um, but if we are not intentional about those ways, nope, I was talking to you. We end up with the conservative default. You know, we end right. up with um well, and I, I think I think because mega churches are built on like the Billy Graham model, you end up with the say this one prayer and Jesus will save you, and and then you can spend all of your money on the church. I don't know, um, and so like I that like that's why I love older hymns. That's why I'm like down for like hymns to be uh, remade in a in a different key or different uh, musical style for those who like want uh, want that. But like also people who are writing today, people who are writing good Christian music today, um, that I have found for the large part are people who are like really having to fight for their faith in the face of the conservative takeover of Christianity mm-hmm. and the popular imagination. Uh, that's and that's you you need those like dense complicated searching theological ideas to come through otherwise you're going to end up falling into the conservative culture war even like in praise and music like i think about the song uh, indescribable by chris tomlin that i was like really into at one phase of my life mm-hmm. and uh it really is about like being in awe of god's power and that by itself like that emphasis on power it always leads you back to like a military might at the end of the day or or has the potential to and so i really think about like how we reframe these how we can reframe these ideas rather than letting ourselves get caught in a paradigm that is unhelpful theologically and socially i completely agree i completely agree i was gonna i was gonna say like a lot of Christian music, um, and you can always tell when I think you're dealing with a band or, or an artist that, that has real chops musically and also like real chops, like kind of theologically, humanly, you know, life-wise, is when they resist this. A lot of Christian music functions in the same space as a lot of Christian movies. They not only are is their purpose propaganda. But I always say, particularly of Christian movies, that they exist in an alternative reality Mm. um, where magic is real and it's done by God. Right. Mr. God up in the sky. Where people's problems are really not that bad. But the ones that are but the but the worst problems are always, you know, like like are never done to the Christian. Mm. Right. Um, the, nobody is worried about the Rwandan genocide in a Christian music in a Christian uh, movie. Hmm. You know, nobody mm-hmm. is asking questions regarding um, uh, the military industrial complex. That's not, you know, n- nobody has to worry really, really. If people are addicted to drugs, that happens. But nobody's asking questions about the opioid and heroin, uh, you know, epidemic. Right. Right. Instead, problems are always individual, personal, and sort of rooted in, in like, um, in typical kind of 
typical quote unquote, like, like personal reasons why somebody might not believe in God. And all of this sort of comes together and, and you, they first have to sell you in order for you to buy these Christian movies, like buy them, not like physically purchase them, but like think buy, that they're into real, them. buy into them. They first have to sell you on this alternative reality. Mm-hmm. And they have to say, this is the re- this is the real reality or maybe something more sinister. Isn't this the reality you want? Um, and and so once you buy that which is why christian movies aren't for non-christians the christian movies are always for evangelicals who are already telling us that telling themselves that this is the reality you know god's not dead the only reason somebody would be an atheist is because of uh is because they're secretly mad at god for something god did not do um and because they're stupid Mm. Nobody. Right. Can, there can be no such thing as principled atheism. There can be no such thing as philosophical atheism. In fact, atheism is so atheism is in fact so stupid that Duck Dynasty can stop it. <laughs> you know, but that is how they sound. That, no, that's the answer, right? Like, because the yeah. Duck Dynasty people aren't don't market themselves as smart. It's bad to be smart when you're an evangelical. Um, right because as as we talked about with like nick the devil comes in through education yeah exactly and so and this alternative reality is also where a lot of contempt is where a lot of christian music exists too you know like like what's the worst thing anybody can struggle with well the worst thing anybody could struggle with is depression well how do we how do we fix that well, by reminding them that, you know, God has a plan for their lives. All right. Write that ballad. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah. You know, and, and there you go. It, it's it's a completely outrageous way to live. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like well, it, it denies reality, but it works. Yeah. Well, and it also, it works in, like, that tactic works in other places. Because I, I, I don't know how much I've talked about this on the podcast, but I've been listening to Maintenance Phase, which is a podcast about um, diet culture and how how it's terrible oh. and ruins us and, like, anti-fatness and how it is difficult to be a fat person in this world. And one of the things um, that they've talked about recently is how there was and still is this emphasis on, well, fat people are only fat because of trauma. You know, they learned these eating habits because of a traumatic event in their life. And so they just can't help it. They're going to be fat people because, because trauma. And that is the same kind of like belittling logic that happens in that, in, in the, in these Christian, um, in these Christian things that imagine like atheists are only atheists because a loved one of theirs died and now they doubt God, you know, it's um, instead of looking complexly at people who make decisions based on a lot of different factors, they reduce it all down to trauma. And like, I have a habit of doing that. I, I think I did it at the beginning of both of these episodes <laughs> where I was like, this is my reaction because of trauma, but actually you can heal from trauma. You know, mm-hmm. like you can do the work with a therapist uh, in order to change, shift your behaviors into something that allows you to live a more fulfilling life. Like there's a lot of ways to deal with this and you just can't reduce something down to trauma, depression, X number of like mental conditions, mental, emotional, physiological conditions. Like we are all more than just what our brains do or just what our bodies do. 
Mm-hmm. We And we live in a society that wants to find that one secret trick that like, if you can just point to this and fix this, then that person will be the way I want them to be. And honestly, like naming trauma and saying, oh, you're only like this because this bad thing happened to you. We think that like that is a narrative winner when actually that's not how people are it like naming a trauma can be a big breakthrough moment i have had that in myself i think that's very important i also think you hear that in the podcast but i talk about it but at the same time what i'm working with i i'm sorry i'm seeing a new therapist so like everything is about therapy right now in my brain but what i'm working with my therapist now on is the fact that like yes we've acknowledged that trauma has happened yes we've processed that trauma but i haven't talked about I haven't thought about the person that I want to be and the choices that I want to make and how I need to absorb and process and compost that trauma in order to be the person that I want to be and and like being the person that we want to be is that journey of sanctification right Mm -hmm. and when your narrative stops at naming the trauma or blaming the trauma you never get to that next phase where like the good life is really lived Right, right. And I agree with that. I agree with all that. And that's what I like about bands like Switchfoot, Mm. where they, rather than be lazy, um, uh, I know laziness is a fraught word. I I agree. But like, rather than fall into that trap of Mm. reducing everything to trauma or living in the kind of alternative evangelical reality that they fabricate, Switchfoot writes music that really does attempt not just to be musical and artistic, which it is, but they attempt to to apply, you know, faith and theology and and Christian life to like the real world. Mm. Like they don't they don't slip into, um, you know, the alternative reality, and instead they write. I'll just stick with the beautiful letdown. Instead, they write a song like Gone, which is which is a really, you know, nice, fun, like almost pop rock uh, uh, anthem that's just about our quest to be immortal. Mm. Mm. A, a very human song. A very yeah. human song. We really do hate death and we're afraid of it and we try to be immortal and in the process of searching out immortality we rape and pillage the earth we hurt one another we do all kinds of bad stuff and and for switchfoot part of the freedom of of the christian is to stop searching for immortality yeah and to see ourselves as creatures and to love ourselves for that great wonderful now that's not how the alternative Christian reality goes. The alternative right. Christian reality goes, of course, death is scary unless you're a Christian. Oh, God, this this is another like brain unlocking moment of like, yes, that that's actually it. I don't feel because we've talked about death before and like our respective relationships to death. I do not feel that I am allowed to be afraid of death because I'm a Christian. Right. Right. Christians aren't afraid of death because you're just going to go see Jesus when boy, does that shut off a lot of emotional reactions to what is a very what is a universal human experience and a really difficult one to deal with. Like it it actually stymies your relationships with people when you're not able to see 
the kind of that ultimate concern. Now, I don't mm. think like fear of death, I don't kind of buy the, maybe the sociological thing that like fear of death is what drives us for everything. Like, I don't, I, sure. I don't know. I have questions about that. Um, but yeah, just naming that I was like, Oh, I don't have a fear of death because I'm not allowed to have a fear of death. Let me, let me now rework my brain to think about this again. Right. And I, and I think, I think it's really interesting because I think you're exactly right. Like I think that, you know, I remember being in evangelical adjacent spaces as well and, and having that not be allowed, you know, even on me. But like, I think of, you know, Stringfellow is my go-to theologian about death. And Stephen Stringfellow is like, oh, remember, Christ- Christianity or, or the gospel does not promise us immortality. Mm-hmm. Not, not quite. He, Stringfellow is always like, no, immortality is the, – our quest for immortality is just another way of being uh, 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 deeply afraid of death and wanting to control death. Like if we could somehow inoculate ourselves – by doing X, Y, Z thing, then we'll be set. For string Stringfellow is always like, no, Jesus emancipates us from death's power. Mm. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus robs death of its sting. Does that mean we won't die? Well, that's bananas. Of course we're going to die. <laughs> you know, does that mean that when we die, we'll all go to heaven and sing songs? And Stringfellow's like, I don't fucking know. Probably not. You know, like, like but it means that now... For the Christian, death is not our Lord. Right. You know, it means that we can we can traverse the world in in radical love. We can traverse the world in courage. Um, not because haha, we have insurance that gets us out of you know hell, but because Jesus has concretely here and now broken the power of death in the world mm-hmm. that's a totally different thing mm-hmm. um and it's something that uh comes out in switchfoot's song gone i think that's great yeah like, like and that's just one example right like i see this in lots of things you know in in at least just the beautiful letdown my favorite song in the beautiful letdown is 24 it's uh, an absolutely lovely song. I think it's called. I don't know why it's called Twenty Four. I'm not going to make a guess, but but it, it's it's like this ballad and John Foreman. Uh, um, it's a very lovely song. He sings about um, it, the the number twenty four is always sort of haunting him and what this might mean to him. It's like it's kind of quasi mystical song, but then at the very end, like the last big. Uh, well, well, the chorus it always gets me because it's uh, um, "I am the second man now," which is which always makes me because I love the new birth. It just makes fills me with fills me with uh, with delight that that he's he has been reborn, right? Like that's just what he calls himself, the second man. I am the second man now. I love it. But there's this great verse at the end where he's you know I want to see miracles, see the world change. And my favorite line, to wrestle an angel for more than a name. Oh, it got me. Oh, it got me. And But then he keeps going, for more than a feeling. No. For, for more than a cause. 
And 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 I and to me, I just am like, yes, he gets it. They get it. You know, the the desire, like it's it's music that is Christian informed, right? It's music and art that that the Christian gospel has worked upon the guys from Switchfoot. And and so if if authentic music is about desire and about you know what we want and 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 the create if, if authentic art is about the artist you know looking into their heart and saying and saying what's there um the switchfoot guys look into their hearts and they see something shaped by the gospel mm. right and so that's the music they produce that's a totally different thing than you know disciple yeah. Well, and it, it's a totally different thing than a lot of praise and worship music too, which is, gosh, it so often falls into the like, Jesus is my boyfriend genre, but like not in a fun way. There's a fun right. way to do Jesus is my boyfriend, right? Like we've, we've read mystics who have been like real into Jesus, Oh yeah. but that's, but that's not what contemporary Christian music does, you know? Um, or it's, again, it's about God's power and God's glory and like, I, you know, there is a time and place, I think, like, I think that there's something uh, that can form a person well, when we think about that. Um, I don't, I struggle with it. But I, you know, I think that there's, there's a capacity for it. But like, when those are your two modes of Mm -hmm. of worship are Jesus is my boyfriend, boy, isn't God great. Um, I, I just don't know what that inculcates and it doesn't, it, it keeps everybody in the shallows. And, you know, I know, I know incredible faithful people who have done incredible work and they listen to like 106.9, the light every day of their lives. And, um, and that's praise and worship songs. It's all kind of in this vein and they, they never get that like deeper spiritual stuff through the music they listen to. And I don't, I don't feel like it's stimming their growth. I think they grow in different ways, but I think that it's, it's not that music isn't the source necessarily of their growth. It's like a consolation. It's a, it's like a, a good home cooked meal, which is great, but is not necessarily always the thing you need to push you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I could, Joe, I could talk about Switchfoot for days. Like I talk about, the lyrics of the beautiful letdown album and how, you know, I just think that there are like dare you to move, I think has just some of the most, it's a lovely song, but it's got Mm -hmm. some of the most, some of the most thoughtful sort of ways of thinking about how salvation impacts the human being, Mm. you know, um, uh, gosh, what's the one thing? What if redemption is right where you fell? Oh my God! Right? Yes. <laughs> you know, like, 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 like. I just, I, I don't know, man. Like, like, yeah, that's amazing. Where are you gonna go? Salvation is here. You know, <laughs> like, like, there's nowhere to run. You don't have to. You know, and there's, and and so this, I think, leads me maybe to my like kind of final point because, like I said, I could talk about all these songs, and I we don't need to, but like the. And I get this a lot because I'm also reading Forsyth mm. for my dissertation. Forsyth comes from a time, you know, the very end of the 19th century, the turn of the 20th century, 
where the word evangelical has a particular meaning. And, and the meaning is, by and large, that brand of Christianity that has in mind a, um, a real experiential encounter and transformation of the human person. Mm. Very Wesleyan. Very Wesleyan, like like it's uh, and that's and that's essentially what Stringfellow means. He constantly calls his because he has this moment. Part of Stringfellow's story, or not Stringfellow, Forsyth. Part of Forsyth's story is Forsyth is this highly trained theologian in the German liberal tradition. He's a Scottish theologian. He studies under a guy by the name of Albrecht Ritchel, who is another person I'm studying for my dissertation. And Albrecht Ritchel is considered in many, in some ways, to be like this, the last holdout or the last evolution of the kind of Schleiermachian liberal theological paradigm. Mm. Um, that's, you know, a, a giant overstatement, but but it's for, for better or worse, we'll, we'll stick with it here. And he studies under Albrecht Ritchel. He, he leaves, you know, studying out with Albert Ritchell, he, he joins, he's a congregationalist. And so he, he goes back to Scotland and, and, and London or Scotland and England. And it's because he serves in both parts, uh, different congregational churches and stuff. And in his early career, he has this, um, his, his preaching and his theology is very oriented around this, right? The God's, um, uh, God, God is primarily ethical over everything else. Like that's stuff that I buy, but like, mm -hmm. but like that's a, um, a very uh, Richelian kind of way of approaching it. God's power, God's purpose, God's will, God's desire. I don't know what any of that means. You know, right. you know, instead it's, it's scientific and it's historical and it's all this stuff. And, and, uh, you know, Ritchell used to say this, and Forsyth takes it up. Mercy is the only true justice. Stuff like that. You know, it's there's there's that's a part of it. Well, Forsyth has this experience just a couple of years before the turn of the 20th century, where where he says in in Forsyth's words that he he becomes an object of grace. Hmm. And and he call, and he calls it an evangelical experience, in which in which he realizes not so much that the liberal tradition that he grew up in is wrong, but that but that it fails to emphasize what Forsyth thinks is ultimately very true about Christian theology and Christian Christian life and Christian thought, which is um, God's holiness demands that God makes everything holy. And that's just the, the way in which holiness works. The holy God wants to spread holiness to all that is not God. And God does that not through an act of snapping God's fingers, but God does that by descending and intervening. Mm. By being Emmanuel by by calling you know every person by being within time by 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 drawing alongside and god does that 
for Forsyth because solidarity, God's solidarity with creation is how God creates holiness. Mm. And, and so for Forsyth, to be evangelical is the only way forward. Hmm. It, you know, in this very particular sense, right? Right. We cannot have a purely scientific approach to theology because, because God's purpose is to create a world that dwells in God. Hmm. Hmm. Not, not a world that God dwells in. Ah, oh, I see, I see. Huh. Um, why do I say all this in relation to Switchfoot? Like that, that change in Forsyth is what prompts him to write some of his most creative and beautiful theology. It's what prompts him to not just do that, but then to get in the muck of, of his world. And, and to be like, well, this is why Christians are called to be engaged. This is why we, we, you know, do things in churches and in the world. This is why we can be political people. This is why we can be deeply social people. This is why it matters what the everyday person experiences. Mm. Because, because God is not trying to create a world for him to live in. Which is what I think the the contemporary evangelicals are trying to do. Yes, that that sounds very true to me. I'm I'm still thinking about that idea, but that that rings true on first glance. Yeah, um, and I think that you know Forsyth's insistence: no, God isn't God isn't making you know God's country. That's not how it works, right? Everything already belongs to God. You know, for Forsyth, the the kingdom of God is already a fact. Um, the kingdom of God is just another word for God. Mm. Mm-hmm. For Forsyth. You know, instead, God is trying to make a people, make a world that lives in him. That is that is fundamentally powered and 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 inbreathed and 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 um uh formed and shaped by god yeah um and uh i see that i see that in the music of switchfoot or i see that in in christian music that does not shy away from reality mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. instead and instead allows itself to be formed by god in a lot of ways the kind of right wing Christian nationalist project. It's not a heresy. We got to stop friends. We got to stop using the word heresy when we just mean evil shit. Sure. Sure. Right. Like, like there are some things that are heretical. There are only a couple of things though, that are heretical. <laughs> right. You know? By like the definition of heresy that like follows from the, the Nicene creed or whatever. Right. Right. Like if you have a theology that fundamentally denies Jesus's humanity, both, you know, formally and informally, we might be talking about a heresy, right? But like, that's ultimately not what happens a lot. Instead, they're just talking about evil shit. Christian nationalists are not heretics. They're just 
they're just doing evil stuff. You know, the, I'm sorry to say. Sometimes they could be heretics. Like if a Christian nationalist is a oneness Pentecostal, then I go, yeah, he's literally a heretic. He, do, he disbelieves in the Trinity. Um, but that's besides the point. But also, like, that's not how liberals want to use heretic, right? No. Because uh, th- then in many cases, they would also be heretics. You know, like nobody wants to use that traditional definition. They just want the force of that traditional definition behind them. I agree. You're right. You're right. It's a rhetorical strategy that I think is uh, does a lot more harm than good because it's self-evidently not true. Mm-hmm. And And all it takes is somebody to be like, it's not true. Right. And then like, and then the power that you wanted is gone. (laughs) Right, right. Let's just, let's just call it, call it kind of like it is. But like, I think a Christian nationalist, the Christian nationalist project, I think is a doomed project for a lot of reasons, but theologically it's a doomed project because I think Forsyth ultimately gets it correct. Like if we want to speak in a very Protestant way, it's works righteousness all the way down. If, you know, we want to, what do we need to do? We need to shape the world in the image of uh, what we believe God wants for the world. Now, I think a lot of a lot of social gospelers and a lot of liberal people do this too. Sure, I'm not I'm not here to deny that, but but what I'm saying is is like this this way of approaching, you know, from this kind of Christian nationalist perspective is incoherent evil nonsense. God, the ultimate power in the universe, does not uh, shape the world himself. We shape the world for God. And it's only when we finish shaping the world where God will please, will be pleased to dwell with us, will walk in the cool of the day in the garden, and, and things will be really, really great. Only when we reshape the church will God renew us isn't that fucking bananas? Actually, <laughs> I yeah, love right? that. The global the global Methodists are all about that, right? Once we get rid of, once we do the work of getting rid of gay people and building up our churches and doing all this stuff, that's when God will bless our church by doing what? Right, like uh, oh gosh, I like I understand maybe. Like thinking back to like David and Solomon, that like David wants to build a house for the Lord, but it's really Solomon who will build a house for the Lord. And instead, God chooses to build a house for David. You know, like I I understand the desire to like build the perfect space, not only like in a building, but also like in our hearts, in our congregations that God can be welcomed into. But I think what we find in the incarnation, what like what what like the deep knowledge is is that like god does not work at a distance and also like god does not fully wait on us to begin working and it, and it goes back to like how love works you know love mm. love chooses not to work without connection and therefore like you god isn't going to wait <laughs> for you to be perfect god is going to instead enter into the world that is already here because that's what we have seen God do. Like that is what we believe in the incarnation. Oh gosh. Anyway. Yeah. It's good stuff. And, and my point then, you know, kind of to wrap it all up is I think that when we do stuff like that, when we understand it that way and we kind of, I'm going to say surrender. Um, and I hope we mean, I hope people understand why I say that word and what I mean when I say that. 
when we surrender to that call, right? When we surrender to, you know, the fact that God has indeed descended and intervened in history and God is indeed working, you know, to sanctify and Forsyth always says, hallow God's name, which Hmm. I love. You know, Forsyth is constantly like, God is always hallowing God's name in our hearts. And that's what we want. We want to ha- we want God's name hallowed in our hearts um, and in the world, because that's the only way we can like, we'd be able to, f- to both say, mean, and practice things like poor people are made in the image of God. Mm. And, you know, as if God's name has been hallowed in our hearts. Um, which I love. I do. I really like that. I really like that phrasing. Like, I think that music, that Christian music that starts from that place and does that, where it recognizes that, oh, we're, we're just making music. And we ourselves, through all of the different ways in which human beings can be transformed, are being transformed, are being informed and transformed by the God who has who is intervening in history, right? Like that I think is when we produce some of the best music mm-hmm. that the Christian church can produce because it's not music that's designed to, to shape the world around it. It's music that has been shaped. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really great. I think, I think that's the fundamental difference between like Switchfoot and Skillet. At the end of the day, like Skillet sees what they do and they and they're super nuts. They're at this point, they're all out on the Trumpy weirdness. They're they're um, outside of Trump's arraignment protesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they're totally crazy. But like Switchfoot really does believe that or like that uh one nationalist guy, Sean was it Foked? Fect? I don't know how to say his name, but yeah. Foyt, I, I don't know. Foyt. Who cares? That guy, he's, he's, he's the Christian nationalist guy. Like, why do you do this? Why do I do this? It's it. Why why do I do this? Why do this in order? I am a member of God's army. Mm. My job. This is not me. This is Sean and, and Skillet. Now, my job is to conduct warfare using music and propaganda. It's politics by another means. God's kingdom will blanket the earth and we will, we will make sure it happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll be rewarded for it. I mean, they won't, but they think they will. Yeah. But they think absolutely. they will. And, uh, and this is really my last thing. I, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It, it's not going to happen because, uh, one, it's just not going to happen. It's in if I'm if I'm a Niebuhrian in one way, and I am in more than one way. It's I think Niebuhr's very interest, very good insight on to e- about evil. It is in evil's nature to fail. They might do some really shitty stuff prior to it, <laughs> but it's in evil's nature to ultimately fail. Yeah. Um, and, and and he's like, why? Well, he's like, well, a it's because of what I believe about grace and sovereignty of God. But B, I just think it's a metaphysical reality. He's like, like evil cannot help but lose. Um, 
eventually. Right, because evil does harm, and when when evil runs out of people to harm, or who who like as John said in the in the last of our episode with him, um, that like we eventually we're gonna make it so that evil runs out of targets, and when evil runs out of targets, it just turns to self harm and self destruction. That's right. What's gonna happen when Ben Shapiro helps evil do its thing? Well, eventually the anti semitism of evil is just gonna come around and kill ben shapiro in one way or another yeah 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 you know like and i don't mean to signal single anybody out like that but like yeah right that's how it works that's how it works look at herschel walker yeah you know it doesn't matter um that's what i think and so long story short friends go and listen to the new beautiful letdown uh record i just think it's really lovely I think Switchfoot uh, is killer. They do some great work. Um, and um, good Christian music is like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that like good Christian music can be incredibly life-giving, even if you're not a Christian. And like, that's a, that's a sign that like something holy has really occurred that it can speak to us regardless of the knowledge we have or the beliefs that we have, but like it speaks to that deep part of the human heart. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we did it. Let's wrap it up. Sounds good. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been a mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Spanx, Reebok, and The Dude. And we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor? is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomolf, performed by Joe Schomolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the internet at WTHIAP, or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet. <laughs>